Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 118, and it's all about Valentine's Day in medieval and Tudor England and the history of Valentine's Day in general. But first, I want to remind you or share with you that our plans for TudorCon are moving on apace. So if you're thinking about your trips this coming year and where you want to go and the events you want to go to, remember TudorCon. It's the world's very first ever TudorCon. It's happening in Pennsylvania in October, October the 18th to 20th. You can learn more, learn more about the speakers and the events. There's going to be a medieval feast. We're going to have a medieval party. It's going to be really awesome. <laughs> Eight months away. So we are excited. And so you can go again to tutorcon.info to get all of the stuff you need for that. So it is the season of love, And everywhere you go, the shops are filled with red and pink and white hearts and cheesy messages. So did our tutor friends celebrate Valentine's Day? And if so, how? And in what context? Let's discuss. First, it's important to remember that all holidays like this were celebrated in the context of the church year. So holiday literally means holy day, of course. And it's important to remember that on February 2nd, we actually saw the final celebration of Christmas. So we've still been in the Christmas season up until February 2nd, which is a very holy time, um, a time of great remembrance and meditation. We saw the final celebration of that with Candlemas. And Candlemas on February 2nd is when the baby Jesus was presented at the temple in Jerusalem. And it's described in the Gospel of Luke. We get a lot of stuff from this including the idea of purification of women after six weeks after childbirth. So this was also the feast of the purification of the virgin. And again, it happened about six weeks after the birth of Jesus. And I'm going to read now from Luke chapter two, not in any particular religious sense, but just because it's interesting to know that this is where that celebration was coming from. So Luke chapter two, starting at verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in their law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So in England, this celebration was seen as also the birth of spring and the renewal of light and the coming of the warmth. And the service saw all of the parishioners processing with the candles, blessed by and lit by the priest. The candles represented Jesus, but they were also seen as having supernatural powers and they would drive away evil spirits. They could also be used to hurt people. Some people believed actually that witches would drop wax from the candles into the footprints of their target, and that would cause that person's feet to rot. Some towns celebrated with processions, such as one in Yorkshire, where one of the members of the Guild of the Blessed Virgin dressed as Mary was followed by men representing Simeon and Joseph, and then two more men representing angels. The angels held a frame with 24 candles on them, while other members of the guild walked behind. Musicians followed, and then they would go to the church, and the one who represented Mary would give a doll to the one representing Simeon at the altar, and then the candles were blessed. Of course, the reformers naturally went after Candlemas because of the superstitions associated with it. But Henry, Henry VIII, was a fan of the holiday. And in 1539, he officially protected it, though he did warn that the candles should not be seen as being at all mystical or magical. Still, people would continue to light Candlemas candles during sickness and give them to dying people, which Elizabeth finally banned those rituals in 1559. So that's what we have at the beginning of February, that ceremony to complete the Christmas season and to start moving on into the springtime seasons, which of course we have this little lull here in the church year, moving on to Lent and then Easter. So during this period in mid-February, there's not a lot going on. It depends, of course, on when Easter is, but this is usually a, a little bit of a more quiet time in the liturgical calendar. And so we have Valentine's Day coming in. So just under two weeks after Candlemas, we have St. Valentine's Day. So let's look at the history of Valentine's Day in general, and then talk about how our early modern English friends would have celebrated. So the Catholic Church recognizes at least three different saints who were named Valentine or Valentinius, all of whom were martyred. One legend says that Valentine was a priest and that he was serving during the third century in Rome. And Emperor Claudius II He proclaimed that single men made better soldiers than married men who had wives and families they had to think about. And so he outlawed marriage for young men who wanted to be soldiers. Valentine said that this was really not right. And he continued to perform marriages in secret. And when his actions were discovered, Claudius ordered that he be killed. Other stories say that maybe Valentine had been killed for attempting to help Christians escaping Roman prisons where they were often beaten and tortured. According to one legend, Valentine actually sent his 
first Valentine greeting himself after he fell in love with a young girl who visited him when he was in jail himself. And this was possibly the jailer's daughter. Before his death, it's alleged that he wrote her a letter and that letter was signed from your Valentine, which of course is the way we often still sign our Valentine's Day cards today. Of course, the truth behind all of these legends, you know, who who knows what it actually is, but it does show that St. Valentine, whichever one he is, is this kind of heroic figure who stands up for love and romance and is standing up for that in the midst of these harsh Roman laws. So Valentine would become one of the most popular saints in England and France by the Middle Ages. Now, the timing of it is curious. Some people believe that Valentine's Day is celebrated in the middle of February because it was when Valentine died, or maybe the burial. Others say that this was the beginning of the bird's mating season, and this is when birds would find other birds to mate with. And so that's why it was chosen then. And then other people say that it was placed in mid-February in another attempt to Christianize a pagan festival. Of course, we know that's when Easter and Christmas, all of these major holidays were picked in part at the time they were because of the pagan festivals that were happening in that same time. And they wanted to, instead of trying to completely wipe out the pagan festivals, they thought, well, if you can't beat them, you join them. And they kind of Christianize these festivals, right? So there was a pagan festival, Lupercalia, celebrated on the Ides of February, which would be February 15th. And it was a fertility festival. And it was dedicated to the Roman god of agriculture, as well as to the Roman founders, Romulus and Remus. And it was really crazy. There was just everything pagan you can think of that dealt with fertility. This particular festival had it. So you can do research on it. You can check it out separately. It was just a pagan fertility festival. And It was outlawed by the end of the 5th century, and that's when the Pope declared February 14th St. Valentine's Day. But it wasn't until much later that the day became really associated with romance. So as far back as the Middle Ages, people would send Valentine's greetings to each other, although written Valentine's didn't really begin to appear until after 1400. Now, the oldest Valentine still in existence today was a poem written in 1415, by Charles, the Duke of Orléans, to his wife while he was imprisoned in the Tower of London. This was after he was captured at the Battle of Agincourt. The Valentine was actually just a few lines in a poem that Charles wrote. Charles was also the nephew to King Charles VI. And this was in 1415. He was just 21 years old, locked up in the tower following the battle. He uses the term Valentine referring to his wife, But the expression of love, actually, it sounds really kind of grim and not what we think of when we think of Valentine's greetings. But of course, he was in prison. So it's not really unusual that he wouldn't be sending really upbeat Valentine's greetings. So he writes, my very gentle Valentine, since for me, you were born too soon, and I for you was born too late. God forgives him who has estranged me from you for the whole year. I am already sick of love, my very gentle Valentine. Charles was actually in prison for 25 years. He was never able to see his wife or her reaction to the letter She died somewhere around 1430 to 1435, so 15 to 20 years after this was written, but he was in prison for 25 years. So she never actually reunited with her husband. And it's an example of 
a very sad Valentine. Five years later, in 1420, Henry V hired John Lydgate to compose a Valentine for Catherine of Valois. And he writes, St. Valentine of custom year by year, men have a usance in this region to look and search Cupid's calendar and choose their choice by great affection. Such has been moved with Cupid's notion, taking their choice as their sort doth fall, but I love on which excelleth all. So that was from Henry V. Well, from his poet. Moving on several hundred years, the Paston Letters, that's the largest private collection of 15th century correspondence that's in England that we have from this period. It's named after a Norfolk family, They rose, actually, they're an interesting story. They rose from being peasants to aristocracy over the course of about 100 years. They mentioned Valentine's Day three times in letters from the 1470s. And in fact, we have what's one of the oldest Valentine's Day love letters written from Marjorie Bruce to her love, John Paston. Now, at the time, these two were seemingly star-crossed lovers. They both wanted to marry each other, but their families were against the marriage for various reasons. Mostly it was finances and the dower. But as Marjorie shares, her mother was sympathetic and was working behind the scenes to change the minds of the fathers. And they were doing a lot of negotiations right around this time. And it did work out in the end, the couple married, they had a son, and they were together for over 20 years. So here's the letter that Marjorie wrote to John Paston, and it's adapted for more modern English. And it says, Unto my right, beloved Valentine John Paston, squire, be this bill delivered. Right, reverend, and worshipful, my right well-beloved Valentine, I recommend me unto you fullheartedly, desiring to hear of your welfare, which I beseech, Almighty God, long for to preserve unto his pleasure and your heart's desire. And if it pleases you to hear of my welfare, I am not in good health of body nor of heart, nor shall I be till I hear from you. For there knows no creature what pain that I endure, and even on the pain of death I would reveal no more. And my lady, my mother, hath labored the matter to my father full diligently, but she can no more get than you already know of, for which God knoweth I am full sorry. But if ye love me, as I trust verily that you do, you will not leave me therefore. For even if you had not the half the livelihood that you have, for to do the greatest labor that any woman alive might, I would not forsake you. And if you command me to keep me true wherever I go, indeed, I will do all my might you to love and never anyone else. And if my friends say that I do amiss, they shall not stop me from doing so. My heart angry, I trust it shall be better in time coming. No more to you at this time, but the Holy Trinity have you in keeping. And I beseech you that this bill be not seen by any non-earthly creature, save only yourself. And this letter was written at Topcroft with full heavy heart by your own Marjorie Bruce. So there's poor Marjorie writing a very sad valentine to her beloved John Paston. Pretty soon, though, they would work it out because by a letter she wrote to him in December of the same year, she was already pregnant. So it got worked out pretty quickly. People did celebrate Valentine's Day in a variety of ways at this point. In some places, Valentines were chosen at random from among a group of friends, and then they had to buy their Valentine a gift. The household accounts of William Peter show gold trinkets and cloth as gifts to Valentines that were chosen at random. The accounts show that one of the maids won the proverbial lottery and chose Sir William himself one year, and he gave her a whole quarter's wages as extra for her Valentine. So I came across stories of Henry VIII 
online, these stories online you see, that Henry VIII made Valentine's Day an official holiday by royal charter in 1537. And I wanted to find out whether or not this was true. So I did a bit more digging. And it turns out that there was a royal charter that involved Valentine's Day from that year. But it wasn't to make Valentine's Day an official holiday, sadly. It was a charter for a Valentine's Day fair in Kings Lynn, rather than an overall Valentine's Day holiday. So as much as we might like to think about Henry being this hopeless romantic in February of 1537, as he is with his beloved Jane Seymour. Uh, I don't think that that is what this particular charter was referring to. It was just for a regular fair that was happening in Kings Lynn on that day. So then Valentine's Day became much more popular in the mid 17th century. And by the 18th century, people were sending each other cards. Of course, this is as printing becomes more popular and paper and cards become cheaper. And then it was the Victorians who really took Valentine's Day to the next level and had cards for everything. Our Tudor friends would have celebrated in their own way. And Henry did know about Valentine's Day because he did have this charter for Valentine's Day fair, but Henry did not declare Valentine's Day a holiday in England. So there's a great book called Pleasures and Pastimes in Tudor England, which I've referenced before with some of these more social history episodes. And it's by Alison Sim, Pleasures and Pastime in Tudor England. And she is where I got the description of the Paston and the William Peter household accounts stories. And I advise you to check her out to learn more about pleasures and festivals and pastimes in Tudor England. There's a link to that as well as the sources and the other articles that I used on the website at englandcast.com. That's it for this week. Remember, you can get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016 Tesco or through Twitter at Tesco or facebook.com slash englandcast. And remember, you can get your TudorCon tickets at tutorcon.info. You can learn more about that. So I really look forward to hanging out with you in October this coming year. All right. Have a great week, you guys. I will be back in about two weeks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Blow northern wind, ascend for maybe sweating. Blow northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hoor te boord in bouwrebriek, dat soli semli is ons